Well, greetings, everybody. Shabbat Shalom. Pastor Tim Carskadden here, Christian Center Report Daily Podcast. It's our Supernatural Friday podcast. Miracles, signs, and wonders, sharing the stories and the moment we're in with Israel in crisis. I wanted to speak of the miracles that God has done for Israel in their times of battle. All right. Shabbat Shalom. Amen. Blessings to you today here on our Shabbat Shalom podcast. It's the 27th day of October 2023. This month is flying. We pray you've enjoyed the podcast this week and been helpful to you as we release the prophetic insight we've been given from the Lord. Well, Israel at war, at crisis, but God has always intervened for his covenant people. Again, let me reiterate, I say it over and over again, we are standing with the covenant promise God has with the land of Israel and the people he's called to steward it. We're not here touting the military of Israel. We are saying that God will work through the military, work through the government, but the ultimate glory goes to the one who made covenant with the descendants of Abraham. That is our Lord and Savior. So we want to make that clarity as we go forward. Um, everybody thinks I'm saying pro-Israel, so I'm all just all about their government. No, I'm about God and his government in the earth concerning that land. And this is a story of the Six-Day War and the miracles that happened, how heaven came down and performed a miracle for them. So listen to this, and we're going to pray for the protection of Israel, but that the same protection can be upon us and our nations as well. <laughs> There is no rational way to explain the remarkable circumstances that led to the liberation of the old city of Jerusalem in 1967. It was one of the most unexpected and inexplicable phenomena in the history of human warfare. There was no battle plan for Jerusalem whatsoever. Israeli intelligence never expected the impending confrontation to include Jordan, which had been in control of the old city since 1948. In the south, Jamal Abdel Nasser of Egypt, in contravention of international law, had closed the Straits of Tehran and sent 100,000 troops and thousands of tanks into the demilitarized Sinai Peninsula, a clear act of war. Tensions were also building on the Syrian border in the north. Israel expected a war in two fronts, north and south, but certainly not with Jordan in the east. Unbeknown to Israel, Jordan had signed an agreement with Egypt, placing the entire Jordanian army under the direct command of Egypt's chief of staff, General Riyadh. It was Nasser's plan to unleash a triple-pronged attack from Egypt, Jordan, and Syria, which he believed the young state of Israel could not defend, and he would finally avenge the defeat of 1948. 
On the first day of the war, the Jordanian forces began shelling major cities across Israel, including heavy bombardment of Jewish West Jerusalem. Israel repeatedly implored the Jordanians to cease fire and promised they would not react. Once all diplomatic attempts failed, Israel had no choice but to defend herself and enter the unplanned fray in Jerusalem. Rabbi Yol bin Nun, a member of the Paratrooper Reserve Brigade 55 under the command of Motagur, recalls the surprising change in plan. On the first day of the war, he and his fellow soldiers were en route to El Arish in Sinai when they received an urgent command to redirect to Jerusalem. The IDF now had only a few hours to familiarize themselves with the routes and topography in and around the capital. With only partial intelligence, a dire lack of East Jerusalem maps and in complete darkness, the troops charged into battle at 2 a.m. early Tuesday morning in the second day of the war. It was then the paratroopers engaged in the fierce battles of Ammunition Hill, the American colony, and Vadi Joz, and suffered the worst day of losses in their unit's entire history, losing 100 soldiers in these battles. In comparison, the very same brigade fought for two weeks in the Yom Kippur War and lost 52 soldiers, half of those lost on this one blood-drenched day. However, despite the heavy price, Brigade 55, together with the Harel and Jerusalem Brigades, had almost surrounded the old city. That very night, Motagur had a breathtaking conversation with Rabbi Shlomo Goren, the chief rabbi of the IDF. While in the Rockefeller Museum at the northeastern tip of the old city, awaiting orders, the rabbi said to him, Mota, Jewish history obligates you to liberate the old city. Mota replied that while he draws great inspiration from Jewish history, he takes his orders only from his superiors. Mota, said Rav Goren, Jewish history will not forgive a Jewish commander who had the opportunity to reclaim Jerusalem and did not do so. Moshe Dayan, the defense minister in the unity government, had ordered them not to capture the old city for two reasons. Firstly, the intention of this defensive war was never to conquer the old city and its holy sites, sacred to many religions. Secondly, he was aware of the large Jordanian military presence in the old city, especially on the Temple Mount, with huge amounts of artillery and ammunition. Having seen the devastating losses on that one day, Dayan anticipated much greater losses in hand-to-hand -hand street combat, especially in defense of the holy places. This would be a battle that Israel would not fight, or so he thought. What he did not realize was, in Rav Soloveitchik's famous words, that divine destiny was knocking at the door. The drama of Jewish destiny was about to unfold. That very same night, two utterly unexpected and unpredictable events occurred. The first, in a remarkable display of unity, left-wing Yigal Alon and Menachem Begin from the right came together as one to Prime Minister Levi Yeshkol to intercede on behalf of Jerusalem. Now was the time to liberate the holy city. The emergency cabinet heavily debated the issue, with many concerned that the world would not tolerate a Jewish conquest of Jerusalem and that Israel should not attack. Eventually, Moshe Dayan's decision was overruled and the cabinet gave the green light. It was time to return to Jerusalem for the first time in 2,000 years, at any cost. At that very same time, another dramatic decision was being made. The commander of the Jordanian troops in the old city, sensing the inevitable and realizing it was surrounded, requested permission to retreat over the Mount of Olives and back over the Jordan River. General Riyadh gave his approval and the Jordanians fled that very same evening. Our sages describe how Jerusalem is the only city in the world that exists on two planes, in heaven and on earth. Jerusalem on high and Jerusalem down below. Nothing happens in Jerusalem on high unless it happens concurrently in Jerusalem below. 
perhaps at the very moment of both debates between the rabbi and the commander and within the cabinet in the city below, a similar debate was taking place in the heavenly cabinet. Were the Jewish people worthy of returning to Yerushalayim, Irakodesh? Was this the moment they'd been waiting for for 2,000 years? Or would they have to wait 2,000 more? Would there be more devastating loss of life in a battle on the mountain of God? Or would there be a more merciful outcome? As we know, divine mercy won the day. Am Yisrael would not have to wait any longer and little blood would be spilt on that epic day in Jerusalem in June 1967. The hand of heaven was moving history forward. When Motagur positioned himself on the Mount of Olives the next morning, preparing for the battle of his life, he was astounded. There was barely a Jordanian soldier in sight. After a few minor skirmishes and mercifully with very little loss of life, Motagur proclaimed the iconic words, Har Habayit the Temple Mount is in our hands. Israel had accomplished what seemed impossible with all the political predictions and military assessments from just a few days before. The Jewish people had returned home. Extraordinary turn of events is another powerful reminder of the meaning of Jewish life. Our collective journey on earth cannot be separated from our heavenly odyssey. Individual and national master plans cannot be severed from the master's plan. The very existence of Israel and Jerusalem is a constant testimony to the inextricable bond between human history and divine providence, between Jewish destiny and our spiritual destination. Last day, and that last statement is very important because our destiny is tied to their destiny. As we've been saying, I taught it last week about how our purpose as a Gentile people, as a church, is non-existent without the Jewish people, the land of Israel, everything that's been promised. This ancient land is one of the only lands in the world that has been fought over as much as it has been, but that has been dedicated to a people that long. As you go to Europe or you go to your own nation, you'll have to admit the sovereignty of your nation pales in comparison to uh, the nation of Israel. Thousands all the way back to Abraham's promise, but the first time they entered the land, and begin to take territory. And then today, they're still fighting for that territory, but the promise from God and the right to have the land. Even I heard Benjamin Netanyahu recently, they asked him about, do they have a right to the land? Who's been there longer? And he tells the story of Jesus turning over the tables in the temple, describing to the, the media that, that's 2,000 plus years ago. Jerusalem was the capital of Israel at that time. 
there's hardly any other country that can say the same thing. Okay? The Persian Empire, maybe. You know, a little bit ancient history there. But for the most part, Israel is it. And when you study the miracles that God does, it's not because he's so enamored with the Jewish people. He's, he's pressing in to his covenant. He will not be who he says he is if he doesn't fight for Israel, fight for the land, fight for his covenant. So when we stand, we're standing with his name. I thought about how when Israel was weary in the battle with Joshua and God sends hailstones and takes out hundreds of thousands of people, that's just God supernaturally intervening, stops the sun for a day to give him extra time to fight. That's supernatural. And you can't tell me that a God would do such things like that doesn't care about that piece of property, as many are trying to say. Now, the church is becoming very uh, weak in this area, or has become weak, and the problem is they don't have a biblical worldview concerning the land of Israel. A recent study here in America by an organization called Barna, the most reliable study we have, said this. It said that uh, they, they surveyed the church in America, six to nine percent have a biblical worldview, and that's mainly because only six to nine percent of pastors teach it from the pulpit. If the teachers would teach it, the people would believe it. So the problem's not so much in the pew as it is in the pulpit. And we must decree and declare what God's word says about the land and how the Lord will fight for the land. Obviously, he uses human entities to make it happen, but he fights for that land. And we, our responsibility is to stand with what he's doing. It's not, oh, whose side are you on the Palestinian side? You're on the Jewish side? I'm on God's side. And God said, that land belongs to me. The people there that are the stewards of it are my people chosen to steward it, not another people. God didn't choose me. He didn't choose the Irish. He didn't choose the French. He, he didn't choose Palestinians. He chose the Jewish people. And we must agree with the biblical mandate of what the Lord has decreed. It's an everlasting covenant. So when you hear this testimony we played today of the supernatural intervention of God in war, modern war, not Old Testament, modern war, it tells you that God is still engaged and still wants to see that land in the hands of the Jewish people so that it will be a praise in all the earth of the goodness of God to keep his covenant no matter what the enemy has done to or against him. Wow. That's a lot I said there in a short amount of time, but take that, put it in your theological oven and cook it and let it grow. Let the kingdom leaven inside of you grow inside of you. You will have a biblical worldview concerning this land. Lord, we pray right now for the military. We pray that God, as you fought for them in the past, you'll fight for them now. Lord, we know and you know who's who in the land and that you will protect those that need to be protected and deal with those that what need to be dealt with. In the name of Yeshua, amen and amen. Shabbat shalom. Have a great weekend. We'll see you on Monday. Shabbat shalom, everybody. Thank you for 
following us here on our daily podcast. We hope all the revelation we release to you is a blessing. Don't forget all our platforms. Again, remind you our app has been updated, a lot of new things. Please read with us in our daily Bible reading. I think that's an important plan to do. You can read your other scriptures that you want to as well, but follow that with us so that when we talk, we're kind of on the same page of what God is speaking to us biblically in this hour. Thank you for your sowing and all your giving, and we bless you for doing that. I just want to release a blessing to you. Remember, when you sow to Christian Centers Report, you also sow to Israel because we give a lot, a lot of our resources to them as well. So God bless you. Have a great weekend. We'll see you on Monday. Shabbat Shalom.